and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture and into his gate with thanksgiving and into his courts of praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth all generations. Good morning. It's good to be here with you and to be able to worship God. Uh, appreciate those who filled in for me while I was gone last week. It's good to travel from time to time, but it is better to be home. And I'm glad to be here. I want to take just a moment to uh, issue a, a word of, of commendation to the congregation. Um, over the last several, I guess, several weeks, months, I keep hearing these reports of members who are busy doing various things with evangelism and members having other members over at their homes and taking them out to eat and so on. And it seems to me that the congregation as a whole is really working hard in order to uh, really serve and improve in these two areas. And I just wanted to mention publicly that um, the congregation is working and moving and growing and serving, and you're all to be commended. And uh, we thank God for the work that's done here. I hope you have your Bibles open to Psalm 100 this morning. That's the psalm that we're studying today, the section or the scripture, I should say, that we're studying today. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, his mercy, his truth, they endure forever. Did you know that out of all of the psalms in the book of Psalms, if you were to go through and read the descriptions that are supplied at the top of most of them, that Psalm 100 is the only psalm in the entire Psalter that is described as a psalm specifically for thanksgiving. Now, it's not the only psalm that was ever used to express thanks. There are a number of others that were and continue to be used uh, for the purpose of thanking God. But to my knowledge, this is the only one out of all of them that bears in its inscription uh, information that tells us that it is entirely dedicated to giving thanks. This psalm, as no surprise then, has served as the inspiration to a number of hymns that have been written, many of which we sing sometimes quite often. This psalm, again, no surprise, is one that comes to mind uh, for many people whenever we think about the blessings that God has given to us and how we ought to thank God on a regular basis for who he is and what he has and continues to do. I want us this morning to just look at the psalm closely and be reminded of what it teaches us about who God is and about why we should be so grateful and so thankful to the God of heaven for who he is and for what he does. Let's begin actually at the end of the psalm, verse 5. And the reason that I want to begin here is because in this last verse of the psalm, the psalmist will tell us three things about God. And these three things will serve as the foundation for the rest of the psalm. It is for these three reasons in this verse that the actions described in the first four verses are, are found. So what are the three things that the psalmist tells us about God in Psalm 100 and verse 5? He tells us, number one, 
that he is good. He tells us, number two, that he is merciful. And then, number three, he tells us that he is true. (coughs) Excuse me. He is good, he is merciful, and he is true. What comes to mind when we think about the Lord being good? The goodness of God is, uh, goodness rather, is a term that describes the graciousness and the benevolence of God. To say that God is good is to say that he is gracious and that he is benevolent. We think about passages like Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. Or we might think about a passage like Psalm 25 and verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Or Psalm 119 and verse 68. You are good and do good. Every time the Bible describes God being good, he is ta- the Bible talks about his graciousness. The Bible talks about his kindness. The Bible talks about both his desire and his action in giving his people those things that benefit them. Look at Exodus chapter 34 for a moment and look, really this is the key passage on the goodness of God, I think, in all of the Bible. Exodus chapter 34, and remember when we get to Exodus chapter 34, the children of Israel have already made the golden calf. God has already talked about uh, God has already talked about departing from them. Moses meets with the Lord in chapter 33 and intercedes on the behalf of Israel. And in that intercession, one of the things that he asks is that God might that he might be able to look upon God. Well, in chapter 34, here we read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions for sin, uh, and sin rather, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation, And I want you to notice, by the way, that in chapter 34, verse 1, and then in chapter 34, verse 8, when Moses first begins this conversation with God, the scripture tells us actually in verse 2 that Moses came up early in the morning and he presented himself before the Lord and the images of Moses standing. But then in verse number 8, as soon as God introduces himself to Moses and among other things, talks about his goodness in verse 6 and 7, Moses wastes no time in bowing himself to the earth and worshiping this good and kind and gracious and benevolent God that we serve. Psalm 107 verse 8 says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. When we just stop for a moment and think about the goodness of God, really, we ought to have the same reaction that Moses had in Exodus chapter 34, and that is that it ought to bring us to our knees in thanksgiving and in adoration. Think, for example, just basically about the fact that God provides for all of our physical needs. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse number 45 that uh, the Lord makes the sun to rise and fall on both the just and the unjust. 
And in Psalm 104 and verse number 27, the Bible tells us that God gives us our necessary food, our necessary nourishment. All of the physical necessities of life are given to us from God. But the same thing should be said about spiritual things. Ephesians 1 verse 3. We have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given us through the knowledge of him, 2 Peter 1 verse number 3, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There is nothing we have in this world of a physical or spiritual nature that hasn't been given to us from God. And that's because he's good. But that's not all. The psalmist says in Psalm 100 that God is both good and he is merciful. Your Bible, depending on the translation that you're using, instead of merciful, it may say something like compassionate, or it may even say faithful love. This word in the Hebrew language that is translated as mercy in Psalm 100 in verse 5 means faithful love. It is the compassion of God for those who are miserable. It is his steadfast love for his creation. It is a term that denotes loyalty within even a relationship. And as it is applied to God, it's talking about his love or his loyalty for his people. This is another passage or another, I should say, characteristic of God that is expounded upon greatly in Scripture. For example, if you just read through the 136th Psalm, you'll notice that the phrase, the mercy or the faithful love of God is found 26 times. And in fact, the psalmist just goes down the list. Give thanks to God for fill in the blank, for he is merciful. Give thanks to God for fill in the blank, for he is merciful. And over and over again, 26 times in that psalm, the mercy of God is exalted. We go back to Exodus chapter 34, but this time actually Exodus chapter 33. I want you to look with me this time just a little bit previous to what we looked at a moment ago. In Exodus chapter 34, the Lord appears to Moses, but back in chapter 33, Moses asks him about that happening. And if we rewind to verse number 19, here's what we read. This is God speaking to Moses after Moses has requested to be able to see him. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Focus on graciousness and compassion, and both of these things have to do with God's steadfast, steady love for his creation. His faithfulness and his loyalty and his mercy Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3 and verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. He continues on, and therefore I will hope in him. The mercy of God is that, is that characteristic of God which enables him to withhold from us that punishment which we actually deserve. And so we could say, at, with Jeremiah, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are able to live. God is good. God is merciful. Number three, God is true. 
The psalmist says in verse 5, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The truth of God indicates that he is firm and he is steady and he is steadfast and he is faithful. We live in a world of radical change. A world that in just a few weeks or months or years time is very, very different. But our God, he says, I am the Lord and I change not. Our God is faithful and he is true and he is just and there is nothing about him, nothing about his character that is going to, be, that is going to change. We can depend upon him and we can count upon him. We can believe and rely in him. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those that love and keep his promises. John 17 and verse 17 tells us that the word of God is truth. Hebrews 10 and verse 23 says that he is faithful, that promised. So when we think about our God, we think about a God who not only is good, who is generous to us and provides for us all of those things which we need. But we also think about a God who is merciful, who loves us faithfully and has compassion upon us and who cares for us, but he's also true. He is firm and he's steady and we can depend upon him. Now, those three characteristics of our God in mind, how should we react what should, we, what should we bring before a God who is uh, good and merciful and true? How should we respond to him? Look at the first four verses of the psalm. The psalmist says, worship with joy, verse 1. Serve with gladness, verse 2. Know the Lord, verse 3. And thank the Lord, verse 4. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says in Psalm 100 and verse 1, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Think about that phrase for just a moment, joyful shout. The Hebrew words that are translated here as joyful shout originally refer to the glad, glad shouting that a king may hear from his servants as he enters into the place where they're found. The emphasis of this term is on joy and gladness. And as the psalmist takes that term, he applies it to our God and particularly our worship of our God. When we worship our God, we come to give homage and honor and glory to a good and a merciful and a true God who absolutely is worthy and the psalmist says that when we give that worship, when we pay that homage and give honor to him, that we do that, verse number one, with a joyful shout. We do that with joy and with gladness and with enthusiasm. So, of course, that begs the obvious question, what is our attitude when we worship God? Jesus said, you remember in John 4 and 24, God is spirit and those that worship him should worship him in spirit and truth. Is that what your Bible says? No, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And spirit has to do with what? It has to do with disposition. It has to do with attitude. And so within each one of us who are beneficiaries of the goodness and the mercy and the truth of our God should be found the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 27 and verse 4. Listen to what he said. One thing... I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, I look forward and I press on toward the uh, goal or the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you could summarize your life in one thing, what would it be? One word, one thing, one action, one habit. If you had to choose one thing with which to summarize your life, what would it be? The psalmist says, for me, it's this one thing. I want to dwell with the Lord. Paul said, for me, it's one thing. I want to keep on pressing forward. I don't want to be weighed down by the things behind me or by the things in this world. I want to be with the Lord I wonder if that same attitude could be found in those of us who are here this morning. It should be, because our God is good and merciful and he is true and he has blessed us in so many ways that we ought to worship him with joy. Number two, serve with gladness. Look at verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness, he says, and come before his presence with singing. When we talk about service, obviously we're talking about, uh, we're talking about giving that uh, service or action of service to someone uh, who is worthy. Sometimes we sing a song, he paid a debt he did not owe, and, and I owe a debt I cannot pay. Of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. But I want you to listen to what Jesus himself said in John 12 and verse 26 about those who serve the Father. Listen to this. If anyone serves me, John 12, 26, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, listen to this, him my father will honor. It's unfortunate, I think, that in our world, service is often looked at negatively, as if it's some menial thing that's unworthy of us. But when the Bible talks about service, the Bible exalts selfless, humble service to a plane of great honor. In fact, our Lord says that our Father in heaven will honor those who serve and who serve well, who serve right. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 116 and verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Now, I realize we're speaking in generalities here, but let me ask you a question. What is the least that we could do for a God who has given us more than we could ever imagine. The psalmist says, I can serve him. David says, or the psalmist, I should say, in Psalm 100 says, I can serve him with joy and I can serve him with gladness. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15, he talked about himself. And he talked about how the love of Christ constrained him, which means literally that it pushed him and it motivated him. It drug him along even when he needed to be drugged because the love of God seen in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when we really think about that, when Paul really contemplated it and all of its implications on his life, the conclusion for him and for each and every one of us should be, what else can I do? but give him everything that I have to give. Serve the Lord with gladness because he's good and because he's merciful and because he's true. Number three, look at verse three. 
We are worshiping the Lord with joy, verse 1. Serving the Lord with gladness, verse 2. Verse 3, know the Lord. Know that the Lord, he is God, verse 3 says. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24, Let not a strong man glory in his strength or a wise man glory in his wisdom, but let him who glories glory in this, that he knows me. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 and verse number 10. When the psalmist in Psalm 100 and verse 3 calls upon us to know the Lord, he's calling upon us to recognize that God is our creator and that we belong to him, not ourselves. Do you realize that when we fail to recognize God as our creator, by default we imagine ourselves as our own creator? Perhaps this is one of the great appeals of evolution of atheism, that in reality what it does is it does away with the need, at least in one's own mind, for God and allows man to become his own God. It allows us to feel, I guess, uh, in a sense, free, as if we don't have to answer to anyone but ourselves, and we don't have to follow any dictator direction other than the ones we choose to follow. But all of that is unrealistic. It's not real. All of that is completely contrary to the truth of the matter. And the truth of the matter is that God is our creator and we are his people. And because we are his people, we are responsible to him. But that's not the only picture the psalmist paints in the verse. He also describes us at the end of the verse as the sheep of his pasture. That tells me that not only is it the case that I belong to God and must answer to him, but it is also the case that he cares for me as a loving and careful shepherd should. So when we talk about knowing God, we're talking about acknowledging that he created us. We're talking about acknowledging that we belong to him. We're talking about acknowledging that he cares for us. And brothers and sisters, this is more than just an acclamation of facts. It is the application of those facts in daily living. Consider Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. Paul's prayer to the church at at Colossae was that they might be filled with the knowledge of God and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he goes on to describe some reasons why he wants them to be filled with that knowledge. And one of the items in that list is so that they may know God. And knowing God has to do not just with knowing facts about him, not knowing the information he has given us in his word, but it has to do with an intimate knowledge, its association, its fellowship, its relationship. But none of that is possible outside of an understanding and an application of the Word of God. How can we best express our appreciation for our God and His goodness and His mercy and His truth? We can immerse ourselves in His mind that is revealed in the pages of these Bibles that we hold in our hands because when we do that, We learn more about him, we know more about him, and we grow closer to him. Number four, look at verse four. Thank the Lord. Worship with joy, verse one. Serve with gladness, verse two. Know the Lord, verse three. Thank the Lord, verse four. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Do you realize that God wants for us to be a thankful people? 
sometime go and um, get a concordance or maybe open up a a Bible search program, or in reality, you can just go to google.com, and you can type in, what is the will of God? And you'll find these passages in God's Word where it explicitly says, this is God's will. And there are a number of different things, but do you realize in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, one of them is that we give thanks in everything. That's what God wants. Philippians 4 and verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your needs be known unto God. We ought to be like Daniel who gave thanks on a regular basis. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Psalm 35 and verse 18 says, give thanks in the great congregation. Hebrews 13, 15 says that we are to continually offer thanks, the sacrifice, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto our Father. Why should we thank him? Partially, it's because anytime we express thanksgiving to God, it is us saying, I didn't do this on my own. I couldn't procure this by myself. When we give thanks to someone in any way, It is even a small expression of our recognizing that that we are dependent upon them for some gesture, some blessing, some gift. When we express our thanks to God, it is a way of us expressing to him, we depend upon you. And we recognize that dependence and we are thankful for everything you provide. Our God is good. Our God is merciful. Our God is true. And the recognition of those things about our God should at the very least cause us to be joyful in our worship, cause us to be glad in our service, cause us to put forth every effort to know God and to at every opportunity approach him with gratitude. What really is the best way to show gratitude? Sacrifice. And the sacrifice that the Bible, that God calls for, is our lives. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, again. I want to ask you this morning, as you think about the goodness and the mercy and the truth of God, and you stop and contemplate how those things are seen in your own life, Could you also say, I have laid my life down on the altar of sacrifice in service to God? If you've not yet obeyed the gospel, you can't say that. The Bible teaches us that in order to serve God, we have to become a child of God. Be set free from the shackles of sin. The Bible tells us that we are either serving sin or we're serving righteousness. We can't do both at the same time. Are you ready to become a Christian this morning? Are you ready to lay down your life on the altar of service to God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John 8, 24. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Acts 3 and 19. And confess your faith? Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Acts 2 and 38. Are you a Christian this morning? But maybe you've stopped serving. You've stopped expressing your gratitude. You've stopped worshiping with joy. You've stopped in your efforts to study the word of God and know more about God. We urge you to make that right. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation. As we stand and sing the invitation song together, come and let your need.